You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Patrick and Caitlin, it is the happy hour edition of the Beltway Briefing. Yet again, it's becoming, becoming our new tradition. Oh, wow. You guys actually have drinks. <laughs> it's and been a so, long week. And so does our special guest. Matt Glavin joins us. Matt is our friend and, and colleague in our Chicago and Springfield offices, along Thanks with Patrick. Matt uh, handles state government affairs for clients in, in, in Illinois. And uh, Matt, welcome. It's your first appearance on this edition of the Beltway Briefing anyway. Yeah, so, thanks for so welcome. You've done, your, you've done your Illinois specials, but but it's exciting. So the three of you have drinks and I have water. There's something oh, wrong with man. this picture. Come on, Howard. And, and Mark is on assignment this week. Based on the audio issues he's been having, it may be assignment from Mars, uh, but he's on assignment. He'll be back next week, potentially. Um, so look, guys, let's start here. Big development in DC this week, as everybody's been hearing about the um, Biden um, and the Democrats wanted the $15 an hour federal minimum wage reset through the bill that's making its way through Congress right now on the latest round of COVID relief. Um, under the rules in the United States Senate, um, in order to qualify for budget reconciliation, which is the legislative vehicle that only requires a majority vote, there was a ruling this week from the Senate parliamentarian with respect to whether it's possible to put this policy issue about a $15 an hour minimum wage in a bill that is essentially a federal budget bill. And the ruling was, no, you can't. So by all accounts, the the minimum wage has gone by the wayside. Um, Patrick, what do you make of that development? And talk about the what it means in terms of progressive priorities in Washington? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it, I think, you know, we all talked about it leading up to this week. I, it kind of went the way I think all of us expected to. I think if you followed decisions around what can make it into these reconciliation bills, I don't think anyone I know was super surprised that this didn't kind of pass the the smell test. Um, Except AOC for Senator was, Sanders. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Bernie Sanders and AOC were surprised. Well, I liked Joe Biden and uh, Chuck Schumer and Chuck Schumer in particular's reaction to the parliamentary ruling that he was so disappointed. It kind of reminds me of how I act when like Disney Plus isn't working on my TV and I have to tell the kids, sorry, we can't. I feel so bad, but we can't watch any more <laughs> Disney movies. I mean, that's what it they they are perfectly happy to not have it included. Move on. Get this thing done. It's not that they don't want a higher minimum wage, but they just they don't want they want they want to get this bill done and move on to the next thing. And this the one consistent thing uh, I've seen, at least in our party, is the progressives are going to get rolled again. They just are. They're going to complain. They're going to be super upset about it. 
you'll have a group say, maybe we won't vote for the whole thing. And, and I'm telling you, it's going to get through in the end without the minimum wage in it. And that's, it's just how it always seems to go. Patrick, be thankful that you're moving, you know, that, that we're in the age of streaming because when my kids were younger, I watched Elmo Palooza about 8,000 times. So at least you've got the whole Disney library at your disposal. Oh, man. Caitlin, thoughts? Again, like Patrick said, unsurprising that it wasn't in there. I think even, you know, to the White House, unsurprising that the parliamentarian ruled the way they ruled. Um, The progressives are frustrated. There is a procedural maneuver whereby um, Vice President Harris could come in and, and overrule the guidance of the parliamentarian. And the White House has said that they're not going to do that. So there's some frustration there. But um, unsurprising. What is interesting to see is actually a group of uh, moderate Republicans this week introduced their own version of a minimum wage um, increase to $10 an hour phased in through um, 2025, linking to the use of E-Verify with employment. But it's actually good to see, you know, the minimum wage, a, a lot of, there's a lot of bipartisan agreement that the minimum wage should be increased, but the question of $15 and the tip to minimum wage, you know, there's a larger policy discussion there. But this, you know, the Republicans have introduced their own bill as well. So we'll see if that's something that that we can build some bipartisan consensus around. But a policy discussion that should not take place in reconciliation. I think, exactly. all, I, think the, I mean, it just right. shouldn't. And right. the, the whole, we've seen this, both sides have done it. But the reason this is such a pain is the parties are using reconciliation now to govern because it's the only means available to them to pass things with a majority. And so people can get mad if something doesn't make it in or out or doesn't pass muster with the parliamentarian, but it was never supposed to be used for all this stuff anyway. Right, right. But I guess I have a different view of that because I, I was on a call, um, small call last weekend with Susan Collins, Senator from Maine. And and she made the point, and she's right, that look at all the COVID relief bills that have been done on a totally bipartisan basis. Right. Like, it's not impossible to do things on a, on a bipartisan basis at all. The December package was, was driven by the Problem Solvers Caucus and the moderate members of the United States Senate. And I, I think it is possible, but there's, there's this proliferation of legislation. Another example is the immigration package that Biden introduced. Um, that's not a reconciliation issue that ha- that unless they get rid of the filibuster, which by all accounts, they're, they're not going to um, because the president, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema don't support doing so. It was introduced for, with the understanding that it's not going to pass. And I don't know, it's just, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on, but I do think that there's the potential for some agreement around things like, like, I think they will pass a minimum wage bill of some sort. Yeah. I but think the- they will pass some targeted immigration. Yeah. Howard, the packages you referenced, there were, you had divided government in those situations. And it seems like we've seen a trend that when you get unified control, 
even though you should govern in a bipartisan way, right. the it it you it's like you can't help yourself, right? You're like, and I think that's a little of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and I don't want to be naive about what I'm about to say, but I think I see the current government as in some ways, it's pretty darn close to divided government. I mean, you got folks in the middle who have the ability to get in the way. Mansion and cinema are the embodiment of it. Um, they have the they they have a tremendous amount of power, and I I don't know. I think that yes, like they're going to do reconciliation packages. Yes, they are going to do things on a partisan basis to the extent that they can. But I think at the end of the day, I still think there's some bipartisanship that's going to break out. But Matt, let's bring let's bring you into the conversation because you <laughs> you have a view of the Beltway from from outside the Beltway. I mean, you're representing clients in the state where, at, frankly, some of these more progressive things actually get done. What's your view of of what's happening in Washington and how it relates to your practice? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the progressives in the state um, were hopeful, right? They, they saw, um, especially you know, shortly after um, shortly after Georgia, they, they, they thought they had a window. They thought they had a window to come in and, and take advantage of the majority. Um, but, you know, the, the pragmatic uh, progressives um, had a backup plan, right? So we're still seeing the push at the state and, and local level, right? As it's been for the last, you know, eight years almost, um, you know, we, we get stuff done in the state, unlike all the UTC lobbyists, right? We we, we move stuff here. So um, not that we love everything that moves in our state, but, you know, Chicago passed fair scheduling um, a few years ago. We, we saw a bill introduced last week that expands that statewide. Um, it's slightly more limited in its scope, but, um, you know, we're seeing these progressive ideas championed um, at, at the state and local level. We, we expect to see the Illinois version of AB5, right, independent contractor, gig, a gig economy bill, that, that's coming. Um, we, we think there'll be uh, clean energy legislation in Illinois, kind of an omnibus bill, um, especially in light of what happened um, you know, two weeks ago in Texas, right? The the the, the deregulation movement uh, hit a speed bump there, and the progressive states like Illinois are seeing this as an opportunity to kind of double down on their narrative of we need strong government policy to, you know, have uh, have protection for ratepayers, have a continuity of service, kind of all those issues. It was a great. That was obviously a horrible. Uh, tragedy, but you know, as as another great Chicago and Rahm Emanuel said, you know, we're not going to let this crisis go to waste. So, the progressives see it as an opportunity to to really double down on their message. Yeah, I mean, look, it's why we as a business have set up our business the way that we have. It's there are plenty of firms in Washington that do what we do and we do it really well. And we talk about this all the time amongst ourselves. Um, but there aren't that many firms that have practices in New York city in New York state in Chicago and Springfield 
and Philadelphia and Harrisburg and Richmond and, and Washington to try to, I mean, it's, it's our business philosophy that we all execute day to day. You know, you have to serve clients, not just up at the federal level, but where things are actually happening. And if you're, a, a, you know, a significant size company or frankly, a small company, I mean, the state and local level is is where it's where a lot of the action is, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we you know we kind of see it's a bit of a microcosm too, right? There, obviously, Illinois is a progressive state, but you know we just went through this leadership battle in the House with with Speaker Madigan, who I think, and you know, be interested from your perspective, but you know he he pulls in the single digits, right? He is he was not a popular leader and out of 73 democrats on the first ballot he got 51 votes right not not enough to keep his leadership position which yes is historic but that says something that you know even as the rumors of indictment are are at the doorstep and, and some of his closest confidants have been indicted his confidence uh statewide is in the single digits 51 of the 73 Democrats in the House said, that's my guy. You, you know what they call Only that? In Illinois. In, 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 you know what they call that in Illinois, Matt? Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, but Matt, to your point, I actually don't think it's that crazy. And, and it's you see it reflected in Washington, too. I mean, with Speaker Madigan, really the the uh, all of the stuff surrounding investigations, that really kind of was too much. But. He had the respect of his caucus. Listen, there are times when Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell are polling, maybe not in the single digits, but pretty darn low, but they will not lose those leadership positions. And the reason is their caucuses believe they are the best person equipped to manage uh, those caucuses. And they are, too. They're right. I mean, they just understand it. And and so that that can be interesting when the public perception of leaders of legislative bodies is kind of out of step with how their members view them, which yeah, is interesting. The, the members, the members consider two things, right? When they vote for leader, whether it's in Illinois or DC, right? Who can manage this body, right? Who's going to get my ideas across the goal line. But I think that's a distant number two to the first priority, which is when my back's up against the wall, who can help me, right? When I have a tough yeah. election, when I'm, getting blowback either from our party or from across the aisle, who's got my back, who can wait, you know, provide the political cover, who can send in the troops, who's going to help me fundraise. And the speaker was very good at that. There's a reason why, uh, you know, DuPage County, which when I started in politics, had the second most Republican votes of any county in the country, next to Orange County, California. It now has one Republican state senator. One. Um, the, and a lot of that, you know, I'm not saying that's all Speaker Madigan, right? We've seen national trends, but he, he got the Democrats a super majority in his chamber. Um, and to your point, Patrick, I think that I think he had the respect of of his colleagues. And, and you know, times have changed. The torch has passed. But the new speaker, uh, Chris Welch, um, is definitely going to give the progressives a voice. He's going to make sure they're heard, but um, you know there's still an opportunity 
for reason, right? These grant proposals, there may be a gig economy bill, but there's an opportunity to talk to leadership and say, look, we know what you're trying to do, but here are all the un unintended consequences if we don't tighten this language up. So, you know, I, I see our role as allow the progressives to have their ribbon cutting, let them slap themselves on the back, but make sure you're creating good policy that, you know, doesn't have the unintended consequences that the first drafts of these bills usually have. So I'm just curious, do you guys think that, does it matter that the public has such a low opinion of our legislative leaders? And, yes. Okay. Well, look what happened on January 6th. Yes, of course it matters. The distrust that goes further. That was a bunch of beyond, psychos, Caitlin. But it goes beyond. But the, the the peaceful people that showed up that day to protest that were had nothing to do with the Capitol. They were there because of frustration with leaders. And I think it's happening in state capitals across the country as well. Yes, I think there's a, a big distrust from the public. Well, why? Like, why? Why is public opinion of Nancy Pelosi? so low um and and mcconnell all all these folks i mean why is there this disconnect between their members and and what the public thinks I, and what what can be done about it because it's i mean low confidence in government is obviously a significant issue like you're saying but what why why is why is why is public opinion so low? Caitlin, what do you think? I think it's frustration. And well, one, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. There's still a lot of frustration with folks that can't go to work. Yeah, but can't it's not take new. their kids to school. But you're right. It's not new. I think it's I think we've kind of gotten to a boiling point over the past year. I think Donald Trump certainly fanned those flames in and in for four years. But but this isn't new. And we've all look, America was founded on, you know, individual liberty and um, kind of a, a populist sort of way of governing, at least on the House side. So we've got the House and, and the Senate. But I, I do think that there's continued distrust and frustration. I'm curious, you know, Matt, how you see this at the at the state level, because it, there's just people feel like Washington isn't working for them anymore. And I don't know if you see that as much in the states. Yeah, we do, and, and I don't think it's limited to government, right? When we look at when we look at uh, research on all institutions, the police, Catholic Church, the Boy Scouts, right? I mean, there are not these large organizations. The larger the organization, the harder it is to, you know, corral uh, public opinion, and the public just has, is losing faith in institutions and. It's a huge problem. I, I don't have any idea what the answer is, right? I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's continued uh, struggle and, and trying to deliver. I think that highlighting stuff like um, the, the, va the vaccination program is, is huge, right? I mean, as, as horrible as this pandemic has been and as tragic as the life uh, lives that have uh, that the, the the loss of life has been. I mean, to think that we're vaccinating millions of people every day, less than a year after this, no, it's, it's stunning. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I read an article about how Moderna had you know sequenced the vaccine over a weekend, and 
that's mind boggling, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just incredible. So, you know, maybe there's a chance to rebuild some trust in, in institutions uh, by getting us out of this pandemic, but it's certainly problematic, but we're seeing it across, you know, at the city level, at the state level, federal, and then just amongst all of our institutions. Major football, right? I mean, we see it yeah. across the board. Yeah. Totally, yeah, totally agree. I mean, I just think, I, I think, you know, it's, I don't want to blame everything on social media and cable news, but like, I, I just think way too many people know or care about Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell. Like, I don't think like people 50 years ago were like talking about Sam Rayburn 24 seven. Like, I just think, (laughs) I just think like, and we're all politically interested. So like, I'm not probably the best person to make this, this argument, but like people have got to, politics has become reality, professional entertainment. Yeah. And that is just, that is a bad trend for the country. You know, leading a legislative body is hard and messy. And I have incredible respect for both Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, even if I don't share either of their politics. I recognize they both do a very good job at the most important part of their job, which is managing a diverse caucus, uh, diverse in opinion, diverse in life experience, diverse in geography. Yeah, I will say to that point that I, I always said that one of my concerns coming out of the financial crisis was that the political will wouldn't be there if we somewhere down the road found ourselves back in another epic crisis. Um, you know, that I didn't think that the political will would be there to act. And, and it has been. And I mean, give the devil his due and I don't like to, but it even happened. I don't give really give Trump any credit for it, but it did, you know, these bipartisan bills, things got done on his watch. He also screwed up the COVID crisis in a, in a horrible way, but yeah, I mean, they do, they have gotten things done that have been, Good for the country. These bills have been reasonably well done. I didn't think they were particularly well executed by the last administration, but reasonably well done and and good for the country. And yeah, they manage their caucuses. I think that's right. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I think they're the, the one thing that's been a, a, well, another not great trend line is just, you know, these packages where you're responding to a crisis and essentially the bottom line is what's happening is you're going to spend an enormous amount of money and you're just going to have to figure out how to prioritize the response. That is sort of a different type of legislating versus aspirational coming up with programs and ideas that can benefit people um, and make a difference in their lives and change things that aren't working well you know, that's the harder legislating. And I worry we're seeing less and less of that. Um, you know, what it'll be interesting to see this next, you know, reconciliation package, if that's the the route they go, or, you know, when we're talking about infrastructure, can, can we get, can we get any type of bipartisan agreement on, on addressing those really big issues? And I'm 
kind of pessimistic. I, I just, I think it's going to be really hard. And it's fair to say that, you know, listen, the Democrats went at it alone on this first package and maybe that's going to make it harder. I, I get that. Um, I don't know. I think people are realists and everybody's favorite thing to do when you're out of power is kick and scream and protest because even though you might support what they're doing on some level, your vote doesn't matter anyway. So you might as well kick and scream. Kaylin, I want to hear your view on this because I'm feeling it amongst Republican consultants that I'm on calls with every week. They feel like personally aggrieved by the process taking place. And I'm like, I get it. I just lived through the last four years on the other side, but like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just, that's the way it's going. And I don't, I don't know. Well, again, we were told for a long time that Biden was going to be a uniter and unity. And if, you know, the the fact that they were so quick to walk away from bipartisan negotiations, they had Senator Collins, Senator Murkowski, Romney, several others in the room. It was for show. It was it was for a photo op. And then they turned around and said, we're using reconciliation. So, yeah, there's a lot of frustration and I feel it. And I know several members that feel it. Um, but again, that's, it is it is where we are. And there's also frustration that there's money that was passed in the last two huge packages that has not been spent yet. So the concern about doing a $1.9 trillion bill, dumping all of this money, some of which won't even be earmarked to be spent until 2022, seems a little ridiculous to folks that are fiscally conservative, concerned about the budget. Yes, concerned about the economy, but if you're in a state like Florida, which is open and businesses are thriving and kids are in school, they don't need all this money from the government. So I think it depends on where you sit. when When you turn 30 and you go away for a long weekend, when nobody gets away and you like, you have a great time and you come back all fired up and I'm ready to fired go. Fired up. It was that Florida trip. <laughs> I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, but I don't get it too, which is that like, I heard, I, you know, we all watched the campaign. I heard what Joe Biden was saying. He's going to unite the country or try to unite the country. He's going to bring down the rhetoric, the tone. I, but I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of know how people are going to are going to govern and i just don't think that i'm surprised at the level of surprise and maybe it's some of it's made up Listen, but i'm just this is not that unpredictable my last meeting pre-pandemic in washington was with um schumer's chief counsel and <laughs> it was like they might as well. I mean, he, he was like, it like, we're totally cut out. Um, you know, we're like McConnell's in charge and now she's on the other foot. And, and that's, you know, but, but I also think that I also think I'm, I'm optimistic that things, that things are going to get done. It, it may not be the COVID package, but, Look, it's like when I can't tell you how many members people say one thing publicly and and think another privately uh, or, or say another privately. Like, I can't tell you how many members that voted against the TARP bill in 2008 when I would go into their offices down the road 
like thank me profusely for what I'd done and tell me how much they supported it, even though they voted <laughs> against it. Like that's just the way the world works. And I I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm too cynical and, and like too quick to accept it, but I I don't know. I don't see it as so problematic. I mean, we we see this at the state level too, right? Every time we pass a capital bill, there are you know, a dozen Republicans who vote for the bill that has all the projects and then vote against the bill to fund it, right? They want all the stuff, they, but they can't, they're not going right. to vote for the, to fund them, right? So. Right. Let's back to our question about why people don't trust government, Washington, no, it, their elected leaders. Yeah, but Caitlin, this is the whole, like, the talking about, like, all the money we're spending. Like, it's been a buffet for the last four years. Like, that's why no one on my side cares that Republicans think that we're spending too much money. Like, it's all about, you look at a situation based on where you're currently sitting in it. And it's like, there's just not any consistency to any of this. And that, I think, is why people lose faith in government because they just see everyone talking out of both sides of their mouth. Right. And then, and then they're just like, well, this is all ridiculous, you know, so I'm just not gonna, I'm not going to trust any of these guys. And that's, that's a problem. Well, you know, I know we've got a lot of, you know, folks who like political history here too. Right. And when in the past, when you dealt with these issues, if you had a member who was getting out of line, you had, you know, pork and patronage. Right. You, you know, LBJ would not have said you're not going to get a bridge. He would have said, I'm going to tear down all the bridges in your state. Right. I mean, <laughs> there, it was you had the, you had a carrot and a stick and the legislative leaders have neither. So if you're, you know, if you're Ted Cruz or AOC, why are you going to walk the party line? Right. Like you're going to run to the closest you know, iPhone and tweet or you're going to live stream or you're going to get on. Fox or MSNBC, and you're going to make your own narrative because there, there's no benefit to sit and wait your turn and work up the, you know, kind of do it the, the old way, right? Well, interestingly, yeah. I'm glad you raised that, Matt, because the Congress is about to bring back on a limited basis earmarks, which are congressionally di directed spending. Um, through the annual appropriations process. And it, they're going to limit it to community-based projects, basically local government and, and not-for-profit sponsored projects. Um, and the dollars may be somewhat limited relative to, to what they used to be out of the gate, but it's, it's a very interesting move. It's very smart for exactly the reason that you just articulated. And look, I hated like the bridge to nowhere and all that nonsense that would get funded out of these bills. And you read the Washington Post article where they talk about all the, the pork. But when I left government and saw what happened when those things went away, I mean, I think they've been a very material you can look at them two ways, but they're a very material ingredient that's been missing as far as making people or giving people a, a reason to come together. Yeah, absolutely. And for every bridge to nowhere, right, they're, they're, those are always going to happen. But most of it is important economic. Yeah, there's a community center in downtown Chicago. 
Yeah, absolutely. Or whatever it is. Absolutely. And, you know, does it have the congressman's name on it? Yeah, right. Maybe it does. Who cares? But, uh, <laughs> but it's important to the folks who got it, right? It's a, a swimming pool or a baseball diamond that didn't exist before. So it, it's important. Well, interesting times. Uh, you know, I do think... Uh, I do think let's let's end by by regrading the Biden administration, which we 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 did the first couple of weeks. It's Caitlin's Caitlin's got her thinking cap on now. She's it, getting the red pen out. Yeah, uh, we can all see one another. You can't see us obviously on the podcast, but I think I'm going to go first this time. I usually go last, but I think he's just. I think he set a good tone. I mean, I know this reconciliation thing is partisan and I, and some of his nominees, yes, they're progressive and he's going to be progressive, but from a calming down the country, getting away from, I mean, it feels like six months since Donald Trump, since we heard from, thought about Donald Trump. I guess we'll hear from him this weekend at the the CPAC convention. But overall, I, I think he gets the theater of politics. Like Bob Dole announced his lung cancer, stage four lung cancer diagnosis. They served in the Senate for a million years together. And Biden went to his Watergate apartment to visit him. I think it was last weekend. I mean, our partner, our longtime partner, Senator Bai, as you know, many of our listeners know, lost his wife a couple of weeks ago. Beautiful statement from the White House. Um, just those personal touches. Yeah. And like the civility of politics. I feel like I give him an A on civil on on I give him an A. I mean, he's talking to the Susan Collins of the world, the Lisa Murkowski's he's, he's, I think, he, it, uh, by the way, I think there are a lot of folks that work for him that wish that he wasn't, but, um, but he is, and he's the president and that matters. And I give him an A for bringing some civility back into the political spectrum at a time where God, God knows we need it. So, Caitlin, you go next. Well, for grading on civility, fine. I give him an A for civility. I give him probably a C plus overall, which is higher than the D I think I gave him. Yeah, last he was time. he was in bad shape after his last report. Great inflation. Card, so this is, yeah. Look on on this whole idea of a return to normalcy on the you know us getting news and from the White House and policy from the White House in a really organized orderly manner yes it's absolutely an a things are flowing well staff are responding to requests you know who's where you know who's doing what yes that's certainly an a there's you know i'm never gonna i'm never gonna agree on the policy merits of of some of what they're all doing but but yes there's There's a lot of policy as as somebody who's worked for both sides that i don't agree with you know, there's a lot of policy out of this administration that I'm not going to like. But right now, I think, and it goes to what we've been talking about. Well, how do the American people look at government? And do they see Washington as a place where there's 
civility. And look, we know every like AOC is, you know, ridiculous and near attendance, ridiculous. And Trump is far and away the most interesting to see his speech tomorrow. First public speech in a while. I mean, I'm sure it'll be straight out of central casting, but I think the, I think the tone tone at the top, tone at the top matters in every company. It matters in every organization and it matters in government. And I think it matters. Matt. Yeah. Is that, the right is incredibly furious with Biden and the progressive left is incredibly furious with Biden, which means he gets an A in my book, right? <laughs> That's a way to look at it. Patrick. Yeah, I would uh, listen. I'm probably a minus B plus. I think he's doing a fine job. I think. Uh, and, and, and with the. T- yeah. You, yeah. He, um, he, is the guy for the moment. And that is, that is shown very clear. And, and, you know, just the candid nature in which even to the left, you know, he gets asked about $50,000 of student loan debt relief. He's like, yeah, we're not doing that. Right. Um, that, that level of kind of candor. And the other thing, Howard, you brought up Bob Dole. Sometimes, uh, there is a moment where someone has a message that just is not what the public is looking for. And if you you think back to 1996, you know, a bridge to the past was what he kept talking about. And it kind of teed up for Bill Clinton uh, to say, I'm going to build a bridge to the 21st century. It just was so not what the country was feeling in 1996 with the new economy, the new internet. That campaign slogan now would work because that's kind of what Biden is offering, which is we have got to slow this down. We got to bring this back, settle in with some norms. Like this is not working the way it's supposed to. And all of us have to together make a conscious effort to treat each other better and to, to show kindness. And, and all of that I think is so it may not have worked at every moment and Joe Biden has run for president a few times and it was not his moment in those times, but he just finally is a guy who found his moment and this was it. By the way, every time I see Biden, as I sit here on nonstop zooms with the TV uh, up above my computer and CNN on every time I see him come on, I look at him and I, I feel like he must pinch himself when he goes back to the residence at night and say to Jill, can, can, can you believe that I'm actually the president of the United <laughs> States? I think he, I don't know. I think a, he wanted was... the job so badly for so long. I, I think he's, but I think he's doing a good job so far. So agreed. Totally. All right. Well, uh, another, another week in the books, uh, another uh, round of endless zooms, but uh, guys, thanks for joining. Matt, come back as our special guest again. Thanks for having me. This was great. Patrick, Caitlin, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, See you next week. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.